Good evening. So uh, just before we sang, Ben Richard, who's leading the hymns, one of our elders, was talking with me and uh, with another young woman here. And we were talking about the last verse of that hymn, Some for whose souls we pray will share our joy that day. And every time I sing this song, there's faces that pop to my brain um, about people that I'm praying for. And I don't know if you're that way too, but you're, you know, people that you're praying for that would come to Christ. I want you to know there's people in this room that actually fit that description. The young woman that we were talking about was a soul that we pray for, and, and several uh, here this evening. We prayed, and now we sing, and God willing, in the future, we're going to see others do that as well. So let's give thanks to the Lord. We'll pray, and then we'll commence. Father, thank you so much for your goodness to us. Thank you for your loving kindness and your patience. Lord, it's the patience that you have uh, that ultimately uh, allows for uh, those to come to Christ, uh, those who we pray for. Lord, we certainly want Christ to come quickly, but Lord, we are thankful for that patience. If for no other reason, for our own sake, you have saved us. Lord, I thank you so much for these servants of the Lord that are here to present their ministries to our church. Give them grace and strength. Lord God, we pray for the souls that are represented by them, or the, the faces that came to their mind as they recently just sang, and, and um, the souls that they're going back to. God, you're doing work, you're building your church, and you do it really, really well. And thank you for allowing us as a church to come alongside these these souls and pray for them uh, and Lord uh, partner with them in ministry. So we love you. We thank you for this evening. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we you may be seated. Sorry. Jumping right in. We are going to enjoy a number of uh, presentations this evening and they are in a particular order and so I'm going to announce that order and uh, like we said before uh, this morning we have multiple folks coming so I'm going to announce this. If I need to announce it again later, that's fine. But uh, we're going to start off with Josh and Annie Moore, our missionaries uh, Ireland. They're going to come. And then after that, we'll have Mr. Jeff Davis. And then after that, Frank and Tori Frausto. Then Aaron and Rachel Houts. And then Keegan Pulse. Uh, if you fail to remember that, we just went alphabetically after the Moors. So, so Josh, you come. Thank you so much for being here. to be with you all this evening. Thank you for making it out tonight to hear these presentations. And our family just wants to express our thankfulness to you for many, many years of faithful support and for the prayers. Uh, we know that you follow along with us in our updates and are praying for us. And it's a great encouragement to our family. There's many things that have gone on in <coughs> Ireland. Um, but what I want to do with you is I only have a limited amount of time. I want to leave you with a picture that will help you as you're remem remembering to pray for us. And the picture is this. How many of you can picture for me the green rolling hills of Ireland? Well, you got it. You got the picture already, right? Good. So just leave a few sheep out on the hill, right? If you've got sunshine, just go ahead and get rid of that and bring the lashing ring. Kind of comes in from the side like that, all right? You've got that with me, right? Then. Stone walls. Anybody seen those pictures of the stone walls around the fields? 
love to ask this question. Where do you think the stone walls came from? Some farmer and his family who you'll never know. You'll never see their faces. You'll never know their name. But you can picture the work that's gone in to make that field lush and green and pastureland for sheep to dwell in and be protected in. You don't know who did the work. You'll never remember their names. But you can see that someone put in day after day of back-breaking labor. I can almost hear the kids saying, Dad, do we have to be out here in the rain? You know, digging these rocks out of the stony ground and setting them up. That's what they did. In our area in the West, a lot of the stone walls were built during the time of the famine. It was the kind of the idea, in fact, they'll show you pictures sometimes of stone walls going up into the middle of nowhere. And it was just, you're just big building walls today for your bowl of soup to sustain your life. Now, I use that picture because that should be the picture you think of when you think of church planting in Ireland, especially in the West. We're not talking Northern Ireland. There's a lot going on in Dublin area, but in the West of Ireland, there's barren, stony ground spiritually. We're talking about a place where the gospel has not been heard and in many towns and villages. There's no gospel witness. There's no gospel outreach. And there are these little outposts that have been begun in western towns across Ireland. And so our prayer, and I know the prayer of the other church planters that are in that part of the world is, look, we don't want to be remembered. It's not about us or our families. Our desire, our prayer, is that when we are long gone, there will be a church continuing faithfully in these little towns and villages all across the West. Churches continuing to gather, continuing to proclaim the gospel, continuing to serve Christ faithfully so that years and years and years to come, people will come into a church and be like, somebody put in the work. Don't know who they are. Don't know their faces. Don't know their names. But we can see that here's where Christ's flock is gathering. Here's where they're being taught. Here's where they're being protected and nurtured. And it is difficult because the flock wanders and strays. And we have to go and pursue and love those who have gone astray. And we would just ask that you would pray for us because it can become very discouraging and very lonely. I'm just being honest with you right now. It's very hard going. It is not glamorous. It is not the romantic picture of Ireland that you have. It's hard. People are difficult. People know us and watch us constantly. And in a small town of around 6,000 people, it is very challenging. But we have seen the Lord work in amazing ways. And he has brought a number of Irish people to Christ. And furthermore, one of the things we're really excited about is he has brought together people from all over the world. We have, at, I think we have around at the minute, 15 different nationalities gathering together around 50 to 60 people. And I tell Irish people in our town, the only reason why you see all these people together is because they love Jesus. They want to sing his praise. They want to celebrate his gospel. And so we'll show you this video now at this time. You'll notice that the way Annie has organized it, it goes chronologically. So you see us when we first arrived and we had around 15 women and children and two old Irish farmers. And then uh, you'll see the progression and the growth of the church where we now meet together in the hall of the Irish-speaking school. And 
uh, you'll, you'll see the faces. Each face has a story. Each face, um, there, there's so much we could tell about, but I hope that this will be a blessing to you and an encouragement as you see the work that the Lord is doing. And please continue to pray for my wife, Annie, and our three kids, Kian, Edith, and Rory. Thank you so much. Here we go.
I'm assuming, which way do I go with this? Can I, and how do I advance it? It is, I apologize for that. introduce myself to you real quickly. My name is Jeff Davis. I serve as director of EMU International and uh, easy to find my website, pastorjeffdavis.com. Go ahead and make a note of that real quick. It's probably the best website on the internet. You really want to go by there, have an opportunity. No, this will tell you a little bit about our background, our story, my past, a little bit about who uh, we are in our ministry. A lot of folks don't know about EMU and I didn't really know a lot about EMU until I became part of the uh, ministry here. Okay, how do I move it forward, Mike? Just hit the big button with the arrow. Okay, there. That makes sense. Okay. <laughs> Real quickly, this is my family. My wife, Joanna, is up on the top right. I share that because she's my most valuable asset in ministry, and I would not want to go without you knowing that I'm married to somebody very beautiful above my grade. Uh, we have four children, uh, all serving in full-time ministry or headed that way. My son, Caleb, my daughter, Bethany, my daughter, Abby, and my daughter, Hannah. Now, interestingly, I have a son named Caleb. My daughter, Bethany, is married to a Chris, but the other two girls are married are married to or are marrying Caleb's. So we're still trying to figure that out. I'm not real sure what's going on. I served as a pastor for 25 years. I was the youngest charter member at University Baptist Church in Clemson, South Carolina. I don't know how many of you know Pastor Will Sin. He was our pastor at the time. By the way, that's a great name for a pastor, Pastor Will Sin. Um, <laughs> But I was a member of that church and worked on staff there for a year out of grad school. And then that church helped launch us up to Harvest Baptist Church in Rock Hill, where I started that church as the founding pastor of that church. I was 24 years of age when I started the church. And you can only imagine uh, all of the youth and the, uh, the inexperience that went into that. And for four years, I served there. Well, God did an amazing work. We were able to get the church going and going pretty strong. Handed the ministry over to Brother Marsh Fant. Some of you know Brother Marsh. I think he's been here before. And uh, at the time, at 28 years, I'm thinking, I need kind of a second master's degree, but I want it under a mentor pastor. So the Lord in his providence put us up to Muncie, Indiana, Rhonda Potter's home church. And we were in that church at Grace Baptist Church for four years under Dr. Collins Glenn. And that would set the course for my ministry journey over the next 15 years as I would pastor churches with large Christian schools. I think at Tabernacle, the Wilson Christian Academy, we had about 600 kids in our school. Uh, Oakwood Baptist in Anderson, South Carolina was part of my journey. I did not take my first international trip until 2009, uh, excuse me, it was uh, 2009. But God really used that, got a hold of my life. And then through leading several mission trips, short-term trips with our church, uh, we took 24 to El Salvador. We took 33 to Romania. God began to really burden my heart about what he was doing among the nations. He used a passage of scripture from Psalm 67 saying, God, be merciful to us and bless us. Cause your face to shine upon us that your way may be known on the earth, your salvation among all the nations. And I preached a series of messages that was going to be about two weeks. It ended up being two months, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. And, and I just could not get away from what God was doing and how he had blessed us in order to be a blessing. Now, my original thought was we're blessed to be a blessing to the missionaries. But the more I began to break down Psalm 67, I encourage you to look that up and study it sometime. It's we're meant to be a blessing to God. 
And, and we bless God by being on mission like he is on mission. And even becoming the director of EMU International, I started out to declare what I was calling the biblical basis of missions. And I was trying to make a biblical case, you know, chronologically, scripturally, just straight through the Bible on the case for missions. But as I began to work my way through that, the Lord really worked in my heart and began to show me that it was the missions basis of the Bible. Not just the biblical basis of missions, but the Bible is, is, is a missional book from the very beginning. And God really used that. And it was around that time God introduced me to a ministry called EMU International, founded by uh, Fred Dayball back in 1946. It was called Evangelical Missions to Uruguay at the time. And for 40 years, our ministry was entirely focused on this small South American country. From the beginning, the focus has been threefold. It was to evangelize the lost, establish churches, but then a real strong focus on equipping nationals. Now what I'm going to do is share with you several of our missionaries and our ministries around the world and see how this theme really dominates. It's all about local churches. It's all about establishing God's institution for today, which would be that, but, but the, the importance of equipping nationals to do the work of the ministry. Here's a photo of several of our national workers down in Uruguay. We've got about 24 national units. Uh, here's a, a, a screen grab from one of our recent uh, workers' conferences. Every February we'll go down there got church ministries, about 15 different churches, incredible camp ministry in Uruguay. And as I mentioned, for 40 years, that was the entire focus. The mission's now 76 years old. We still put a lot of our effort. I'll be down in Uruguay in February for a couple weeks. But in the late 80s, we began to be, we changed our name to Evangelical Missions of the Unreached as we began to expand into several other countries. And uh, here's a photo of the different missionaries that make up our agency. We're a small agency. We're not like some of the larger agencies. We've really only got 16 cross-cultural families and about 30 national families that we work with. Again, in Uruguay, we've got the Espinels. We've got the Steels. These are ministry trainers um, working in Febu, which is a Bible college that we started down there. We're in Chile. I was just in Chile last month with Brother Tom and Connie Chapman. Now, some of you sitting here tonight and saying, well, what is my role in missions? What does God want from me? Tom and Connie, they were in their 40s as Christian school teachers when God called them to the mission field. They started and opened up a ministry in Anabagasta, Chile, that's now expanded into many other churches that have been established. Tom is 78 years old right now, and as I was with him, we were driving just north of his house a little bit. He was showing me the new town where he's wanting to start a new church. So God still could use you in some way. I was with Tim Chapman last month also. Tim is in Lima, Peru. Tim had traveled with the Steve Pettit team back in the early 2000s. He went to Peru as a missionary doing evangelism and camp ministries. God used him to revitalize one church, and then he took one of his disciples there, went into the heart of Lima, and started a new church. Started an internship program. They've got another elder now, and they're training another intern. And uh, God is greatly blessed. They had 200 in their church uh, when I was there last month. Uh, Tim has told his church now that they're self-supporting. I can't remain your church. He says, I've got to go start another church. That's what missions is. He said, or we can become a church planting station. And that's what we're trying to do is establish a network in, in Lima, Peru. Tim's also leading an MK camp, missionary kid camp, for all kids across South America to come in. And he started these theological retreats that God is using. So an amazing ministry taking place there. We've got Alexis Shoemaker-Arenas who's helping out in that ministry. Mexico's an interesting story. I mentioned that Tom Chapman was in his 40s. Mark 
Marco Nunez was 52 years old when God called him to Mexico, back to his home country. Marco was a Christian school teacher, Christian school administrator. His first wife passed away. God felt, he felt God calling him to the small uh, area of Cancun at the time, just a little fishing village. But God used his going there, and as the government was putting all this money in to build up the great resort that Cancun is now, he would take bottled water to workers. And again, the focus was just building relationships using relational evangelism. And, and through that process, several folks laughed, but some listened, some got saved. And the next thing you know, he started the First Fundamental Baptist Church of Cancun. Since then, he's established seven churches across the, the Yucatan. I traveled 1,700 miles to visit with these seven different pastors uh, that have started the different ministries there. Every Easter, I've been going down there, having the privilege of training and working with these guys, maybe doing about 12 sessions, uh, preaching another four or five times. And it's a great uh, time God is working. Marco is also 78 years old right now. Uh, we're in France, the Tim Bixby family. That's a familiar family. This is their new church building. God has helped them get in France. Croatia, we're with Fornell Srinkovic. You can tell that's a national name also. Uh, he's considered a cross-cultural missionary. But God is greatly blessed. Very, very Catholic area in Croatia. Hard, hard country to work through. The Baptist churches, you have to be a registered church in Croatia. Very, very liberal. But out of that, Paul, uh, Cornell is just a unique one. He and his brother co-pastor a church in which they're seeing people saved regularly. They're seeing people baptized. Churches started. This was some work we did just a couple years ago on a building that they had purchased. This is what that building looks like today. And God is greatly blessing Brother Cornell. They're seeing, like I said, churches planted um, People ordained regularly in that ministry. We're in India. I was just last month with Brother Billy Judson or, uh, over the summer with him. He and uh, I traveled. We did 58 different breakfast, coffee, coffee, lunch meetings over about three and a half weeks with people, preaching every weekend, um, sharing the ministry in India. India is one of the most unreached places on the earth. In fact, it's the most. If you look at that map, each one of those little red dots all over the map represent unreached people groups. Look how India is covered up. Uh, with unreached people groups. Country of 1.4 billion souls. And uh, he's doing what we cannot do. You cannot go into India as a missionary. But here he's gone in as a national. He and his dad in the past 23 years have started 57 Bible colleges. Their motto is every local church a college classroom. So they're taking and training folks and starting these Bible colleges throughout India. And in those 23 years, they've had over 16,000 that have been trained we did a study to figure out how many of these are now serving in ministry. 60% of those have started churches or are pastoring churches right now. So they're doing what we cannot do through this. And again, this is just a small agency making a huge impact and a huge difference in that country. We're in Cambodia, and probably one of the most interesting stories of our ministry uh, begins with one of our first missionaries to go out other than Uruguay, and that's J.D. Crowley. J.D. went into the area of Southeast Asia that back in the 12, 1200s was the largest empire on the planet. To compare, the, the area of the population of London at that same time was about 18,000 people. This time in, Croatia, or in uh, Cambodia, in Angkor, you had a million people in that one city. And uh, we know it more through the time of Vietnam and the, Cambo uh, the secret bombings of Pol Pot the killing fields, you recognize some of the pictures that are there. But J.D. made this statement. He said, a Christian's a person who cannot endure the thought that there's a place in the world where God is unknown. 
where he's unpraised, where he's unworshipped, where he's unthanked, where Jesus Christ is not famous, where the gospel is not heard. So his whole motto from the beginning is let's make God famous. And how are we going to do that? And they made God famous by telling his story. So in the northern tribal areas, he was the first expat allowed up into that northern tribal areas just south of Laos and east or west of, of um, uh, Vietnam. He went into a tribal area that did not even have a written alphabet. He wrote an alphabet for the tribe, began to teach them to read just like you would teach a kindergartner. And folks began to learn the Bible. They began to uh, get the scriptural stories. He went through a creation of Christ and over time began to see folks saved. And in an area, again, 27 years ago or so, nobody even knew the name Jesus. Today, there are over 3,000 believers. Over 70 churches have been started. Over 100 first-generation or second-generation church leaders. They're doing pastor schools. They're doing this in four different indigenous languages. And, and what's even greater now is now those nationals are doing their own training of their own national people. Amen. So an amazing work we've got. This is from one of our pastor schools last year. Jeremy and Bonnie Ruth Farmer, Brooke Ilsley, Matt and Becky Hancock. Josh Jensen has a PhD in linguistics, has written two alphabets for different tribes. Brian and Lydia Kane using a lot of technology. And then we're also in the 1040 window. So what is the 1040 window? That's that most difficult to reach area on the planet between the 10th and 40th parallel uh, of latitude. And in that area, you've got two-thirds of the world's population, or 4.4 billion people represented there. That area, again, where you could die trying to share Jesus. And we're going into that area. If you want to remember an acrostic, how to pray for those guys, look at the little uh, acrostic at the top. The tribal, it, it spells out thumb. The tribal, the Hindu, the unreligious like you'd have in China, the Muslims, and the Buddhist. And so we're tapping into those different areas. So EMU International, nine countries, 34 U.S. missionaries, 51 national missionaries, and one great commission. And as director, I travel representing the mission. I, I'm sharing this ministry. And I told Tim even earlier today, I'm not really waving a missional banner. I'm waving a let the church be the church banner. Because when the church is what the church is supposed to be, they'll be on mission. If you preach expositionally, you're going to encounter a God on mission. God, as I mentioned, the biblical basis of missions versus the missions basis of the Bible. Think about this. Missions was in the heart of God even before he created everything. And so we need to just line up with what role. And my question for you is, would you be willing to pray about what God's next role he would have for you in your ministry? Thank you. Amen. Amen. Let me see if I can figure this out here as well, too. Big green button. But I don't know if that green button starts my presentation. Oh, I don't know. button just keeps it going? <laughs> All right, well, my name is Frank Frosto. Um, I have heard from a few people that I look familiar, and that would be because I've been to the church here, Grace Church, several times, uh, and that started really from a church that I was part of in North Carolina. So some of you who are more connected with what goes on with Arch Ministries may recognize the name of Matt Walker. Uh, Matt Walker was uh, our pastor, so Tori and I, my wife Tori and I, and I'll show pictures and stuff here too and more formally introduce her, but just kind of letting you know our connection. We were part of College Park Baptist Church for several years. In fact, my wife was a charter member of Matt Walker's church, and then I came in and, 
and then I was there for seven years, and we were there, and he would oftentimes talk about Arch Ministries, and Arch Ministries, and Tim Potter, and Bob Potter, and I'm like, who are these people? And so Pastor Matt would actually bring me up here a few times to some conferences, and so I got to meet Pastor Tim and his father at the time then, uh, and, and, and do that. And so I've walked these halls a few times, and then in 2018, uh, we came over and took part of the discipleship program as well then too. And so I, I, although you and I may not know each other that well, I feel like Grace Church has been a part of my ministry life for many years in one way or another. As even in the ministry we were at previously, we used the walk booklets in a church we were part of with our teen group. And, and so this has been kind of nice to be back to a very familiar place and a place where... Uh, Many people we know have been blessed by it, but we personally have also been blessed by it. So it's good to, uh, to be here. It's always really uh, unusual, too, to see connections as well. As you were talking, my wife was part of UBC for many years at Clemson as well, so she knows Wilson well and, and uh, many, many other connections. Anyway, let me go ahead and get into what we are, are planning to do. So this is uh, an introduction for you here of NISNA. South Africa. You'll see it here in a little bit. It's spelled with a K, but it's a silent K. And uh, South, Nysna, South Africa is a coastal town of over 76,000 souls, to which God has called me, my wife Tori, and our four children. Hudson is 11, Zachary is 9, Nate is 6, and Amalia is uh, 5 years old to serve there as church planters. And so Tori and I were both exposed to the gospel, I mean, I'll come back to it a little bit, but we were exposed to the gospel at an early age, and so the Lord led us to turn from our sin and trust in Christ uh, as we were just children. She was raised in a Christian home in New Jersey, and I was raised in a Christian home in Arizona, and we met years later at Bob Jones University. If you were in the Sunday school class earlier, I told you sort of the funny story about uh, the first time I spoke to her, I was on a date with her sister, but that's how we met at Bob Jones University. And uh, I heard somebody go, aw, but it really wasn't that bad. We were just friends, and so we're still, her, her sister and I are still friends, and she's happily married. But it was kind of, it is humorous to think that, yeah, I spoke to her not realizing I would marry her years later as I'm standing next to her sister, my date. But anyway, so we did meet again years later when I was in seminary. And so then we were married in 2007. Pastor Matt Walker, uh, formed our wedding ceremony there as we were part of College Park Baptist Church. And so then before and then after marriage, Tori and I have had opportunities uh, to do several church ministries, such as I, I was served as a youth pastor in Washington just as a young single guy. Had an opportunity there in logging country in Washington State to serve as a youth pastor for a couple years. Um, I was a church admin assistant there with Pastor Matt, and so helped with a lot of administrative work, but then also teaching and, and preaching and youth work, and then also was an assistant pastor in Pennsylvania for, for several years there where we were involved in counseling and church music and children's programs and a lot of other things. So we are excited, though, to tell you about this new call to serve uh, the Lord in the foreign field here as church planters in Nysna, South Africa. So this call began when we were first exposed to the need for biblical ministry in South Africa in January of 2020. And so what we didn't know when we visited there, because I, at the time we were visiting just really as a church, as I was in Pennsylvania, we were visiting 
a ministry that we were part of. We were visiting just to kind of survey what they did and to, to take some time away as a, as a couple to uh, just, just to have a vacation time. We didn't realize that the Lord was going to use that to plant the idea of missionary work in our hearts. So I'll tell you about that here in a little bit. Let me tell you about where Nisna is uh, in South Africa. Of course, this is this is the you have the continent and the country, the provinces that are there. There, the the country itself is 59 million people, um, close to 60 million. It's estimated now in 2022. It's it's really diverse. It has cult, different cultures and languages and the geography and the religions and it, and it gives it the name the Rainbow Nation. It's it's a country that has first and third world all kind of put together. And so in one of those nine provinces is the green one there uh, that that is called the Western Cape Province. And the town to which the Lord has called us is the little red star that you can see there. And that's where the ministry that we'll be involved in there is located. In, in, along the garden route there on southern South Africa uh, called Nisna. Um, as a point of reference, for those of you who know anything about South Africa, you may have heard about Je Johannesburg or you may have heard of Cape Town. Cape Town is about six hours to our west, so on the Atlantic. We're technically considered the Indian Ocean where we are. And then Joburg would be really about 12, 12 and a half hours north, northeast of us. So the country, I know when we look at it, sometimes we forget how large it is. So by comparison, if you were to take the state of Texas and multiply it times two, it's roughly the size of South Africa's landmass. And so that's, that just kind of gives you an idea when some people have asked us, like, do you know this person in, in Johannesburg? And like, ah, I've heard the name maybe, but that's 12 hours from us. And, and so um, it's, a, it's a very, very large area. Um, let me show you a little bit about Nisna itself. If you were to Google it, which don't do it now, but I know you can, but don't <laughs> Google it now. But if you were to Google Nisna, it's, it's a beautiful, it's a gorgeous area there on the Indian Ocean. And you'd see that it's highlighted as a vacation destination for many foreigners and even for people that live there in South Africa. So boating, water sports, and shoreline shops make it seem like a really carefree and a relaxing vacation place or even a place to live. Um, but the beauty really is only one aspect. It's just in some ways really a facade uh, for the deep spiritual and the physical needs that the people have there. And so there are for sure real problems, both physically and spiritually. And so I just want to tell you a little bit about some of the physical ones. Uh, the economy of South Africa is weighed down by um, unemployment is one of the aspects of it. And, and the current unemployment rate is about 34%. In South Africa, uh, many of those who do work would make the equivalency, if you were to put it in an American context, if you made about $17 a day and tried to live on that, that's about what some of the workers are making there. And so th this area is also constantly plagued with political corruption, racial inequalities. Some of you may recall last year in 2021, there was a riot that lasted for a while after uh, one of the former presidents of South Africa was arrested for contempt of court and the people that he was from, the Zulu people rioted and there was a millions of dollars of damage and lo uh, looting and several people lost their lives. And so corruption and then reactions to corruption uh, are, are constantly even uh, a problem. Um, now 75% of the 76,000 people that live in Nisna live here. This is not the first picture that Google is probably going to show you. It might, but I doubt this is going to be the first picture. This 
is where three quarters of the people of Nysnel live, and many of them live without electricity or indoor plumbing. Um, the South African government began providing homes along the dusty township streets. Of course, this is near the end of apartheid in the mid-90s, and since then the government will provide some housing, but the residents of the township who get onto a waiting list for this can wait up to 10 years for this kind of a home. The streets of the township are full of children. Large groups of children can be seen just playing and running through the streets. And, and this is going to be, Lord willing, a large part of our ministry. And I'll, I'll come back to that idea here in just a little bit. So I mentioned before that in January of 2020, we took our first trip there to South Africa. Really just tremendously burdened for the people and impressed by the work that was being done there. And so a year and a half later... Last year in July, Tori and I took our second trip, and we took our two oldest children. We took Hudson and Zach to examine, really at that point, what, what started as just a vacation in 2020 and 2021 became a real survey trip. And so we took our children thinking, okay, if we do this, it's going to affect the oldest two children's lives the most. So let's take them with us and get their feedback on it. And so Hudson and Zach had an opportunity and if you're curious, yes, they were very positive about it. And uh, our eyes were really open to even more uh, opportunities that we could have to serve Christ there in this area of the world. But even though really the physical needs are great, the spiritual deficits are greater. And so while Christianity does have a presence in the region and in the country, it's largely represented broadly by dead religious traditions. And so... Roman Catholicism, is this one here, uh, Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, also all have a large presence in Nysna. The Charismatic Church and Prosperity Gospel is probably one of the biggest, um, I can use this word maybe, plagues on the area. It spreads into a lot of it uh, as well. Even such things as Rastafarianism, this is in the township in Nysna. It's a Jamaican twisting of scripture that uses loosely the Bible, warping an understanding of God with spiritism and drug use, and, and Africa is the promised land. So this even exists there in Nysna. The other thing that exists too, of course, is tribal paganism. And the people that were near in Nysna, the people that are there, this, this is the Kosa people. If you're familiar with, again, Nelson Mandela, Nelson Mandela was from the Kosa people. And so this is the tribe near us. They, in some cases, will continue to teach that prayer should be made to ancestors, that divine, to, to divine spirits, and to witch doctors. Um, one story really quickly, our, our, our partners had uh, the care of a child, two children actually, and they were twin children. One of the children who was younger and smaller when they were dressing the child for the first time had been bound with uh, some kind of cord around its limbs and around its waist. And... The only thing we can think of is it was probably because sometimes twins can be a bad omen and they were trying to cause harm then to the youngest child as it was bound very dangerously. And so you see a lot of these kinds of things. Um, and so even immoral expectations are, are pressed upon boys when they're 16. These boys in jackets here have just finished this ritual when they turn 16 of manhood. And in many cases, these, these rituals result in a high number of crimes against women um, and unwanted pregnancies due to these tribal practices. 
And so that's a very, very sad solution that we'll talk about here in a little bit about very much child abandonment as, as a result of it and, and abortions. So thankfully, though, the gospel, of course, is the solution to what these, this, this region needs. And so our work is going to be laboring in the power of the Spirit to, to make the gospel clear, especially in cases where prosperity gospel reigns and people have heard of Jesus, that he can make them healthy and wealthy and, and wise and, and, and these things. And so we want to teach them clearly through Scripture that Christ alone is, is the perfect sacrifice um, and we want to make that clear to them. So when we arrive in Nysna, our work will begin by continuing to bring stability and help to Lakeside. Lakeside is a Baptist church in need of a South African pastor. Uh, this church was started by another American missionary years ago, and it needs a trained national pastor. And so Lakeside Ministries houses not only the church, but also a small Bible institute that trains up men and women in the Word of God. And uh, we are, are praying and, and, and looking into the possibility of our involvement in that as well, too. But it will be definitely in, involved in the church there at Lakeside. So we plan to do this through <clears throat> to, to not only work through Lakeside, but also to start another church after Lakeside is stable and has a pastor. But to start churches through evangelistic endeavors, including even Bible clubs in the public schools. So... Uh, this picture is from our first time in 2020. We had an opportunity to be involved in a program called KICKS. KICKS is a program in the public school where they are, and the, the culture is, it's, it's quasi-Christian, but it's also very big on character and, and morals. And so they realize, like, well, these people will teach them good things. We'll let them go on in there. And so we had an opportunity in 2020 to, for an hour, one, you can do this one day a week. You can go in for an hour uh, 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 and, and teach them the Bible. In fact, this time that we had it, the teacher left me and Tori in the room and just said, okay, I'll be back in an hour, and she probably went to drink tea or coffee or something. I don't know where she went, but we were just in there with children we'd never met. Like, oh. and, but we had a wonderful opportunity to share how God reveals himself in, in creation and how he reveals himself in his word. And this is an ongoing program. Uh, thank the Lord, it just kicked back up again at the end of COVID, as COVID is kind of um, not as, as difficult as it was before. So uh, we'll be doing involved in this, in this. And so our passion is to reach young people, to reach the people in the community, and to teach these new believers to make new disciples to grow the kingdom of Christ. In addition to pastoral ministry, we also plan to assist with gospel-centered uh, crisis pregnancy counseling. Um, and we want to continue to help them to establish this ministry there in Nysna, as well as other child welfare efforts. Uh, the picture you're looking at there, the white box, is a baby saver box. So our partners in South Africa just recently had this installed in our, our ministry's house there in Nysna. Uh, it's, it's the first one for about a three-hour drive. Um, in 2019, this is a somewhat older statistic, but in 2019, it was estimated that over 10,500 babies were abandoned in South Africa, and that really only a third of them uh, survived. So this is uh, because of the culture, and technically even these baby saver boxes aren't even legal. So baby abandonment is illegal. Baby saver boxes are technically not allowed legally, but the government realizes, well, they're they kind of, we kind of need them, so they've let them go, and so there are many people trying to 
make this an easier process, as it was kind of a, a bit of work even to get this one installed. Um, but we hope to help alter this practice, this abandonment, and this culture that uh, commits many, many crimes against women with new life-giving uh, initiatives and biblical counseling with men and women and children. Now, because of my limited time, I'm going to keep moving here, but we're not going to be doing this alone, and this is one of the most exciting things about it. So I want to tell you about the people that we'll be serving with. We're going to be serving alongside, first of all, our church. Trinity Baptist Church is from Westfield, Indiana. That's our sending church where uh, Pastor Daniel Minton, who was actually a missionary to South Africa himself, several years ago, and so it's been a great connection to be able to be part of that ministry there in Westfield. And so they've been help, as well as our board, which is called IBM Global. IBM Global was started out of a church called Merrimack Valley Baptist Church in Nashua, New Hampshire. And uh, we're very grateful to be partnering with the people there at IBM Global as well. We'll also be in country, be working with JD and Leah Highfield and their two children, Caleb and Charity, and while we're raising support, uh, they are, are busy pastoring, J.D. is busy pastoring Lakeside Baptist Church, and their family is attempting to continue to bring stability there in, in, in the church and to reach people in the community. J.D. and Leah have been there for three years. Long story, they thought they had partners. That plan fell through, and really in many ways for us then became an open door for us as we saw the continued need and so oftentimes when we talk to them, they're very anxious and eager for us to come and to help them uh, as they minister there in, in Nisna. Um, not only are we going to minister alongside J.D. and Leah, but we'll also have the opportunity to serve within the... This is a team of American, Canadian, and South African uh, uh, pastors. It's a collaboration of really like-minded church-planting missionaries uh, there that will assist us in our outreach efforts. It's really a wonderful uh, model as we gather together at least once or twice a month for encouragement, and fellowship, for accountability, um, and really just for strategy as well. The community of NYSNA is kind of segmented, and many of them, because they're poor, cannot travel except by foot. And so we're, they start several churches in different communities because if you started one, you can't invite people across town because they're not going to come. It's very difficult for them to come. So there's a church started in downtown Nysna and, and Lakeside is in Sedgefield, the, the town in, uh, on the other side of Nysna. And then there's also Cornerstone that started on the, the east side of Nysna. And they work, though, we work together as sister churches together, encouraging and collaborating on larger scale ministries but also just encouraging one another as we minister together. And so this is uh, the Nice to Hope team that we will be working together. And so we're excited about being able to serve with them, um, to partner with them. And so we would just ask, last of all, that you would pray for us. Of course, that you would pray for us as we travel. Uh, actually, tomorrow we'll leave and head towards the Carolinas. So pray for us as we travel and, and as we strive to really be in South Africa as soon as possible. We are currently at 54% of our needed support. And so we're grateful and excited about what the Lord has done. But we continue to need uh, people to partner with us and churches to partner with us. And just pray. Pray for our children that, that they would also benefit spiritually from 
deputation. We don't want to waste deputation. There's an eagerness and an anxiousness that comes, right, with wanting to do this. But there's also a recognition that this is all the plan and the process of God, not only to, pre to provide for us, but to prepare us. And uh, later we can tell you stories about this then too, about how the Lord has done this and, and protected us and, and taught us a lot of lessons through deputation. But pray for our children, pray for us as we go. Um, and, and then also, we, again, we need partners, but then consider as well then too going. As I know many of you have expressed your desire and your burden to be part of missions. One of the wonderful things I like to mention about South Africa is because it's English speaking, there is, and I know this is a question people have, there's also Afrikaans, and there's also the tribal language of Kosa. But we can do ministry uh, broadly in English. And because of that, we can quickly get to work. And if you were to visit us, Lord willing, as we reach the field, you can quickly also get to work. And so we would love to get there ourselves, but then also invite you to come and to be part of the ministry there in South Africa. And so we are confident that the Lord is going to continue to provide, not just for our needs, but for the needs of the people there in South Africa, as we can help them to better reach their own people uh, through church planting and through evangelism and through discipleship. So thank you so much for your time.
some ways comical because you're walking through this, this school and you think you stick out, but you really don't. But I thought I had to stick out because I was a pastor's kid. I thought I had to, to act a certain way, dress a certain way, and, and talk a certain way. I'm sure that I did. But that pride kind of led me to the point where when I realized I needed Christ, I didn't say anything about it because I didn't want anybody to know that I wasn't born saved as a pastor's kid. So for two years, I remember thinking about that several times. And then finally, when I was six years old, I was trying to fall asleep on the top bunk of a double bunk bed. And I kept thinking about the sermon my dad had just preached that day, a communion message. And I couldn't fall asleep because I was afraid if I fall asleep and roll out of bed, I'm going to fall a ways down on a hardwood floor and I could break something that I need to lift and I know where I'm going to go when I die. So finally I, I really slowly climbed out of bed and walked out to the kitchen where my parents were thankfully still awake and my dad led me to the Lord that night. And then when I was eight years old, our family moved to upstate New York for my dad to be the pastor of a small church in upstate New York where my wife was born and raised, so we technically grew up together. And that pride, as, as many Christians uh, have faced this, that pride followed me into my the middle school, young high school, where me and my best friend Adam started to plan out our lives. And again, I thought because I was a pastor's kid, no matter what I chose to do with my life, it would look good. Uh, because of my identity as a pastor's kid. So Adam and I started to, to plan out the rest of our lives. Neither one of us were going to get married. We were going to join the Air Force. We wanted to be in pararescue. We had a very specific thing that we wanted to do. We wanted to either fly or jump out of airplanes. Well, when I was 16, the summer before I turned 16, the Lord brought a missionary family to my dad's church. Uh, the Smith family, they were in Papua New Guinea. They've since left the field, but they came to my dad's church on a Wednesday, and they presented, and I remember talking with their son, Matt. We were playing basketball Wednesday afternoon, and he's just a few months older than I am. He started to talk to me about missionary aviation, because I was sharing with him my dream of being a, an Air Force pilot. He said, yeah, did you know that there are pilots on mission fields who fly missionaries? I'd never heard of that before. So he shared all this with me, and then after our conversation, I thought, well, this is going to look great for me. I'm going I'm to get my flight train in the Air Force. I'm going to go with Adam. We're going to kind of hang out together, not get married. Then when I retire, I might get married, but I'm going to take my aviation skills and go to a mission field and spend my retirement helping missionaries. But that night, as his dad gave their presentation, the Lord used that to very strongly grip my heart, and I remember trying to walk down the steps to leave the building that night, and as a pastor's kid, uh, you're one of the last to leave the building, <laughs> and I got halfway down the steps, and, and it was a like the Lord was putting his hands very heavily on my shoulders and kind of around my neck, and I remember when I left the church building, the Lord had taken away all of my desire to join. And I knew that he wanted me in some way to be involved with full-time ministry. So at that point, before that, I had not planned to go to Bible school. 
that, I thought, okay, Bob Jones has an aviation program. I'll go there. But before I went there, they had to close the program. And around this time, actually about a year before this, the time where the Lord called me, I started to, to notice a lovely young lady in my dad's church. <laughs> and part of it was because we were the only two eligible ones in the church. <laughs> But I, you know, I grew up with her, but never really recognized her um, because I didn't have any interest in that sort of thing. But the Lord used the strong encouragement of some elderly people in our church who several times urged me to take Rachel Lasher out on a date. Um, so she's two years older than me. She started college early. I started late. So she went to Bob Jones. For a music ministry, for a music degree, and I was scared all four years because she was the only girl in the church, and she's going down to Bob Jones University, where half the guys there are looking for wives, and the Lord brought her back. She graduated single. So before I ever started college, we had our first date and we started a relationship. Thankfully, I didn't have to go to Bob Jones looking for a wife. I left one in New York. Uh, but I started college, and my freshman year, the Lord started to chip away some more at my pride. I did not want to preach. All I wanted to do was fly missionaries. But the Lord used missions classes, Bible classes, our sending church, Mount Calvary Baptist Church, and, and listening to Pastor Minnick preach and getting to know people there. The Lord used those things to continue to to kind of tighten his grip around my neck and direct me where he wanted me to go. So we met a director, one of the people at, at Baptist Missions, and they told us about Alaska and the need for more missionary pilots in Alaska. And I didn't really think that was a good idea because Alaska is not a mission field. It's one of the 50 states. <laughs> um, but it came time for an internship, and my wife and I got married halfway through my sophomore year, and then we moved back down to Greenville for me to finish up school, and I squeezed a four-year bachelor program in the seven years of being married with a full-time job. Uh, we went to Alaska through Baptist Missions for six weeks, and you'll see in the video pictures of our trip. And once again, the Lord, the Lord kept directing us. I went there not knowing where the Lord would take us eventually. I thought Papua New Guinea. But we kind of went to Alaska thinking this is easier to get to than Papua New Guinea for a family. So we went to Alaska. But when we were there, the Lord used so many things to give us a burden for the native people there. We visited Mike and Jeanette Clark, the missionary couple that we will be teaming with there. They have a full-time ministry in Iliamna, Alaska, a very small community about 300 people, southwest, 230 miles of Anchorage, and this is all off the road system, and they've also had outreach in six or seven other villages in that area that they've been trying to have ministries in, but because of their full-time ministry in Iliamna, they're tied there, and they aren't able to effectively reach these other villages with the gospel. So they've been praying for a team. And they're sharing all this with us during these six weeks. And then our last Sunday there, we visited one of those villages, Leewok. 75 people in Leewok and millions of big mosquitoes. 
halfway up the aisle and I felt that pressure again. It wasn't so much around my neck, it was more around my shoulders, just pushing me straight down. And I knew that's where the Lord wanted us. But I was scared until after I preached to the missionary and two native ladies. He introduced me to Patricia and you know she shook my hand and you know what it's like? She cupped my hand with her other hand. Like she wouldn't let me go. And, and she looked at me in the eye and she said, are you the missionary that I've been praying for for 20 years? And I remember, you know, that when something like that happens, it's overboard. And I felt this, this very strong burden, not just for Leadlock, but for the dozens of Alaskan native villages in southwest Alaska. Some of them have never been reached with the gospel. They have Russian Orthodox churches. Russia sent their missionaries over and poisoned the minds of all these Alaskan communities. But very few have the truth of the gospel. So that's where we're planning on going. We just started deputation in January. Uh, the Lord's blessed our family with three children. You'll meet them in the video and hopefully after the service. Uh, but I really wanted to say thank you for the opportunity to be here. And we'll close with our video. Big green button is not playing. The preacher she had been praying for. After experiencing a strong... That's the middle. Yeah. In 2018, my wife and I and our nine-month-old daughter flew into the Alaskan Bush Village, Iliamna, with Mike and Jeanette Clark in their mission plane. It was our goal to find out if the Lord wanted us to serve Him among the Yupik natives in Bush, Alaska, through aviation ministry. In Iliamna and a few other bush villages, we spent the next six weeks learning how church planting, discipleship, and aviation outreach work in Bush, Alaska. During those six weeks working alongside the Clarks, we saw how the Lord is using their 15 plus years of ministry to build Christ's church in these villages. And we also saw the need for a missionary team to be established there in Iliamna. Hi, we are the Houts family. Aaron, Rachel, Anna, James, and Malia. Aaron and I grew up in Christian homes where we were exposed to the gospel and gave our hearts to the Lord at young ages. We both attended the same small church in a farming community in upstate New York where Aaron's dad is the pastor. Aaron attended Bob Jones University in Greenville, South Carolina, and graduated with a ministry and leadership degree. I graduated from BJU with a degree in music. Partway through Aaron's degree, we were married, and the Lord blessed our home with three children. Since our time in Alaska, the Lord has continued to give us a burden for the people in Iliamna and the surrounding bush communities and we believe he has called us to serve him in this unique place. In 2021, we joined Baptist Mid-Missions, and we are benefiting from their 100 years of missionary experience. During our time in Iliamna, we observed the current church plant ministry there, Iliamna Baptist Chapel. We were able to help serve the church through Vacation Bible School and the Lord used that to give us a love for the young people communities. We were also able to serve through music ministry, preaching, and even some building upkeep. 
As we served in the church in Iliamna, our Lord burdened us for the village communities in the surrounding area where there is no consistent gospel outreach. Hundreds of these villages, including Iliamna, are separated from the road system and only accessible by airplane or boat. The Yupik people in these villages must hear the gospel of Christ, as many of them are deceived by the Russian Orthodox Church, which has influenced these villages for decades. One of the villages in particular is the village of Livlock. We were able to fly to the village and hold a Sunday morning service with a small group of women and children. The eldest native believer asked Erin after the service if he was the preacher she had been praying for. After experiencing a strong burden from the Lord, Erin knew the Lord was calling our family to bring the gospel to these villages. Since childhood, I have had a passion for aviation and plan to finish flight training once we arrive in Alaska. Seeing how the ministry works in the bush, it is clear that being able to fly is a necessity for effectively reaching these remote villages with the gospel. One of our ministry goals in Iliamna and the other villages is discipleship with those who come to Christ. The instruction our Lord gave the disciples during his time on earth prepared them to lead the early church. We want to train future leaders for these small churches through scriptural instruction. Would you please pray for our family as we follow the Lord's calling for us? Please pray for the people in this spiritually dark corner of the world that still need to be reached with the gospel. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. In 2018. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you everybody for the opportunity to be here tonight. Let's see if we can get over to the next. Oh, there we go. Skipping ahead. <laughs> there we go. All right. My my name is Keegan Falls, and I will be serving God in New Zealand. And again, I'm so grateful to be here to have this opportunity to share with you process that God has used in my life to call me into serving him and what he has planned for my life going forward as I continue to pursue the ministry to which he's called me. And so in order to introduce myself to you tonight, I'm going to try to answer all of your most important questions about what God wants me to do for him in New Zealand. First of all, since I'm meeting most of you for the first time tonight, or yet earlier today, or maybe yesterday too. I just wanted to share briefly how God has led me to the point where he's put me up here um, pursuing ministry, pursuing missions in New Zealand. So potentially like many of you, or some of you, I grew up in a Christian home. Funny enough, that was also in upstate New York, in the Binghamton area. And so there's never really been a time that I can remember that church wasn't a part of my life. But yet, obviously, that's not what saves us. And so, by the grace of God, he helped me to understand the truth of the gospel at a young age, in about the fourth grade. And while there wasn't necessarily a great dramatic life change, little did I know the process.
process that that would start. And so as I came to the end of high school, a lot of people began to ask me the same question that I'm sure a lot of people ask each of you in high school, or those of you who are young, younger and in high school or college or whatever. And that question is, what are you going to do with your life when you graduate, when you go on to university, when you go into the workforce, into your career, what are you gonna do? And so as I came to the end of high school, I really had a passion for writing, specifically fantasy, science fiction, whether it's short stories, whether it's novels, um, just creativity in general was something that I believe God has blessed me with. But all through my growing up years, missionaries came through the church that I grew up in, and I saw all the things that God was doing throughout the world. And for some reason, God had laid on my heart a passion for native people groups. And so one missions family that really resonated with me was the Baker family who serve up in the Yukon Territory, kind of up near Alaska. And when I had the opportunity to travel up there on a short-term missions trip, I had that same conversation with them. They asked me, what are you going to do when you get out of school, and what are you going to go on to in your future career? And I told them my dilemma, this kind of either-or possibility, either missions or writing. And they were like, well, we know somebody who does both, so maybe you should consider that. And so as I came home from that trip, God really began to convict me and show me that my love of writing was more for myself than it was for him. It was so that maybe one day I could look at a bookshelf of accomplishments and say, look what I did, even if the stories were filled with redemptive narratives, good characters, all of those things. It wasn't for God, it was for me. And so as I came and graduated high school, I attended Clark Summit University down in Scranton, Pennsylvania in their missions program, which is now called the Intercultural Studies Program. And while I was there, I was talking with one of my friends, and his church knew, supported a missionary in New Zealand. And so I knew that I needed to do an internship in order to get my degree, and I wanted to do it in the place that would be closest to where I would be serving God one day. Because it didn't make sense to me to go to Canada if I was going to go to Southeast Asia, or to go to Europe if I was going to go to South America. That just didn't resonate with me. But yet there was just something about New Zealand as I talked with this missionary that spoke to how God has wired me, the opportunities and needs for leadership training, for church planting, and the presence of a native people group as well who desperately need the gospel. And so I was able to go over on a short-term trip and spend time with that missionary, as well as a native Maori pastor up in Auckland, which is the largest city in New Zealand. And I was talking to him while I was there, and I said, I want to come back for my internship. So he got me in touch with a missionary down in Wellington, the capital of New Zealand, who is with Biblical Ministries worldwide. And that internship went super well, really got along with that team. And so after I graduated university in 2016, I graduated a semester early in the fall, then in July of 2017, I headed down to Atl the Atlanta, Georgia area and joined up with Biblical Ministries Worldwide. Their basic premise, if you will, their basic tagline is a church for every community. Their goal is that obviously the local church is the one who God has tasked with sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with the world, and so they want every community to have a localized expression of the local church. I heard in talking with a few of you yesterday and today that 
you might be familiar with Chris Anderson, who's on the board of BMW. Um, he has some connection to this church. And so I joined up with them and began raising my support in September of 2017. And it was looking like I was going to be able to go in 2020. Well, as 2019 came to a close, I had some really good meetings lined up. And I thought maybe God would have me go finally in 2020. And we all know what happened there. So, Lord willing, I'll be able to depart soon. And that brings me to the question, well, where in the world are you actually going? Because you say New Zealand, and a lot of people think, yeah, I kind of have an idea of that, but I'm not 100% sure where that is. And so if you look at these circles on the map here, on the left-hand side there, you'll see kind of the northeastern United States circled there, which is, of course, where we are today. But then... Down in the right-hand corner, you see another circle, and that is New Zealand, down there. It's about a 24-hour trip to get there one way. The funny thing is, with the time difference, you skip a day on your way out, and then when you come back, you live the longest day of your life. <laughs> so, hopefully, they did start up a direct flight from New York, which is where I currently live, to Auckland about a 17-hour flight, so hopefully that will alleviate some of that long journey, or at least running through the LA airport like a crazy person. So, as you come in closer to New Zealand, this is what you see. New Zealand is a country of almost 5 million people, situated on two different islands here. In the north, I don't know if it's super clear from back where you guys are, but up in the top there, you'll see Auckland which is the largest city of almost two million people. And there are some BMW missionaries serving in Auckland, but as I did a field survey in 2018, I really felt God drawing me back to that Wellington team in the capital. And so Wellington is located right in the middle of the country on the Cook Strait. And in center city Wellington, there's about 300,000 people. If you include the surrounding areas, that number jumps up to about 500,000 people of a variety of ethnicities and descents. And it being the seat of government, it's also um, home to two universities and um, so many other different groups. But the main question that I get when I tell people I'm going to New Zealand is why are you going to New Zealand? You know, a lot of people think Western countries are Christianized, you know, they're all good, they don't necessarily need mi missionaries, but that couldn't be further from the truth. New Zealand has seen a great rise, like much of Europe, in atheism and people who just don't consider themselves religious at all. And so the current statistics show atheism or non-religious people at about 51% of the population, so that's over 2 million people who don't even necessarily believe that there is a God, let alone that he can be known or that he loved us enough to send his son for us. Uh, evangelical Christianity sits at about 12%, as we would think of it. There's also, in the broader Christian spectrum, again, a presence of Catholicism, Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, and Pentecostal churches and prosperity gospel preachers as well. But with New Zealand's situation in the South Pacific, I don't know how much the past couple years and lockdowns have shaken this up, but, you know, it, the climate's fairly moderate. All the animals that want to kill you are over in Australia, so it's pretty safe, you know. 
Um, so it leads to this lack of an eternal perspective. It leads to this, this almost cultural idea of everything's going to be okay. They have this, this slang phrase that, that comes up every so often, she'll be right. So it's like, oh, something's not going your way? Ah, she'll be right, mate. It'll work out in the end, you know? But what happens when it doesn't work out? And so that leads to suicide rates that continually climb among the young people. And just a, a general sense of hopelessness or only living for the moment. You know, go out drinking on Friday nights, because why not? Um, and again, there's a huge, uh, high presence of Maori people. And so one of the official languages of the country is English, first and foremost, but then also Maori and New Zealand Sign Language. And so to get into that Maori culture a little bit more, I would love the chance to learn the Maori language while I'm there because it will build those bridges in order to share the gospel with them. And so what exactly is this going to look like in my ministry? Well, the main thing is to be involved in a local church. The church plant is about four to five years old with the existing team that's there. And I'll be jumping in to help out with the youth, the college, the young adult groups that they want to start or revitalize and grow. I'll also be able to team teach a leadership training course with the missionary that's on the field that I actually had the opportunity to teach a couple lessons from this curriculum already in my previous internships. Um, I'm also an electric guitarist, so I will be hopping on with the music ministry. And then the rest is just going to be whatever they need me to do, whether it's teaching, preaching, hosting small groups, going out in the community and meeting people, whether it's through rock climbing or <coughs> local game, board game stores or um, doing outdoor things like hikes, kayaking, all that kind of stuff. Um, but then also this really exciting opportunity for ministry has come up in the past couple of years. They have identified a leader that they believe God has called to take over that church plant within the next two years or so. So it's kind of cool to come in at the end of the process to learn this is the end goal. This is what we're aiming for in our ministry. And then being able to go with that team to a new location and start a brand new church plant in about 2026. And so I'm super excited to see what God will do through that. It's also really cool that God has kind of gifted me in these different ways and also with my stage in life to be able to slot into this team in a place that is not necessarily super easy for the existing team to jump into with like the youth and the young adults. The current team that's going to be in Wellington and then transitioning to the new location, um, at least the overseas missionaries, is first of all a, mission, a missionary family, Pink and Selena Davis. They have four, four daughters and one son, if I did my math correctly. Um, the oldest is 16, and the youngest is like one, I think now. Um, so they're very focused on building up the young families, like reaching the young families, training the leadership, and he's technically the pastor of the church at the moment while they're putting somebody else in the place. And then there's an older lady who served over there with her husband back in the day. He's home with the Lord, but she has finally gone back to the field actually a couple years ago. Um, I had the privilege of meeting her at Candidate Seminar because she was switching over to our mission board to go back. And so she's been doing a lot of the children's ministry and a lot of the women's Bible studies. But there are, yes, a few people in the church who can reach the young adults, who can reach out to the college kids, but they need some help. And so that's where my main focus will be reaching the young people who are there, who are in university.
university who are making decisions about what their life is going to look like, who they're going to live for, and how they're going to proceed beyond university. So I'm super excited for all these different things. I do want to touch on this briefly, is another question that I get somewhat frequently, is why send a single guy? For, you know, especially when you look at a place like New Zealand that's so beautiful, so outdoorsy, it's like, ah, he's just going over there to have fun, right? <laughs> Not true. So we see the biblical foundation, first of all, Paul himself was a single guy. Um, 1 Corinthians 7, he talks about all the benefits of ministry flexibility and focus that are afforded to single people. Like, for instance, I could get up super early and have coffee with somebody, or I could stay up till all hours of the night and with somebody talking theology, getting to know somebody, and it's not a burden to an external family. And so then as well, I will not be there alone, but I will have a team around me teaching me how to live in the country, how to do ministry in a practical sense. I've been blessed to have the opportunity to serve at my home church, in administration, preaching, worship team, um, to have kind of that foundation here in the States, because if you're not doing it here, you're not gonna do it there. But then I'm looking forward to working alongside them, and then again, just having that flexibility to slot in wherever is necessary. So as was said even earlier tonight, how can you get involved? The first of all, the biggest one is to pray. I am so close to reaching my goal and finally be able to go to the field after such a long deputation process. Again, I started in 2017, had to take a break for almost two years between 2020 and 2021 when nobody would have me in to speak because people weren't meeting. And so God has been faithful in the meantime to over and abundantly provide for my outgoing expenses. But I still need that last little bit to get there, so if you could be praying for that. I'm also planning on applying for my visa within the next couple months, since it could take up to seven months for me to receive that visa. So prayers for the timing of that visa and the expedited process would be super appreciated as well. And then if anybody feels led to give and to partner with the ministry that God's called me to, I'm $800 a month short of my goal. So it's, it's almost there. It's just getting it over that last little line. It's about 70, 67 to 70%, depending on how you do your calculations. Um, so I only have about 30% left to raise. And then lastly, again, as was mentioned, you can go yourself. Go where God has called you, whether that's down the street, whether that's all the way to the other side of the world. <clears throat> you won't regret it. it. It might not always be easy, but God will make it worth it. And so thank you all for this opportunity to be here and to meet as many of you as I could. I'd love to talk with you afterwards as well. I'll be out by my table. Thanks again. So the reason why we do World Mission Sundays, uh, instead of having missionaries come uh, peppered throughout the year, we want to have a more concentrated focus of missions for all of our people from our little ones all the way to adults uh, so that we can uh, share with you uh, our, our, our heartbeats not just for uh, our Jerusalem you get Judea and Samaria um, through Arch Ministries uh, but to keep a concentrated effort on global missions uh, as well uh, and uh, so that we can just make sure that we're aware uh, and staying up to date on all who's out there and the opportunities we have to partner um, with people 
all across the world to do this more efficiently um, by God's grace. Uh, so uh, Mackenzie's have been our missionaries in uh, Germany for a long time. I'm going to ask him to close in prayer tonight. They're not part of the World Mission Sunday, but they are tonight because they were traveling through the area and were able to join us. Uh, so I think they'll be headed out for a snack after church for someone and staying in our home tonight. But uh, it's great to have you and your wife. And uh, you know you're always welcome here. So we'll close this in prayer tonight. And uh, we'll look forward to being on our way and go see our missionaries in the lobby. Thanks for your patience and your time today. And for all of our missionary guests, I know it's a unique day for you too. Thank you for your time. And I uh, appreciate you being here Amen. as well. Pastor knows this, but I'm Brad's brother-in-law, Mackenzie Matia. Oh, what they do? Yeah, that's okay. It happens all the time. No, maybe not. I didn't mean here, but bad, anyway, no, it's all good. I just, but we're glad to be here, and we'll close in prayer. Our loving Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your goodness in that you have made salvation possible for mankind. We have chosen our own way as human beings. You set out and made a perfect world and placed man into it, and yet mankind chose to think that they, and Adam and Eve, but we also would know better than what you had for us in store, and we chose a sinful way. We thank you, though, that even before the foundations of the world, you made a plan possible in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that people could come to find forgiveness in his finished work at the cross. And that he came into this world, and even though it was a difficult way, and he obeyed your will and went to the cross and died there for our sins. We thank you that we have this glorious, wonderful, joyful message in our hearts. That you saved us, that you drew us unto yourselves, and our hearts were convicted, and we were able to for receive forgiveness for our sins. And then that we have such a great privilege to be a part of going out into this world and sharing the gospel there where you've placed us, each one. As Pastor mentioned, right here in Mentor or wherever in this world, wherever you push us and place us, as we heard the different testimonies this evening, we thank you for the opportunity. Thank you that you give us boldness that you open our mouth, that you give us a vision, that you give us an understanding of who is the next one that you would have us to speak to. And we pray that you would encourage us to pray without ceasing, that we really incessantly and continuously pray for one another, that we would do that which you've called us to do, and that is live a life that is a testimony to your name, and that we would help people to understand that they need a Savior, that they are lost in their sins, and that they will be in eternity separated from you if they do not trust the Lord Jesus Christ. So we pray for these different ones that presented this evening their ministry, the calling that you've placed upon their lives. I pray that you would speed them on their way. Some of them still need support, and we just pray that you would lay it upon hearts as it is your perfect will to give them that which they need to go and then the permissions and whatnot to get over to the fields and serve you on that point where you have appointed for them. 
Thank you for this evening. Thank you for the time that you gave us to hear these reports. And we ask your special blessing in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.